Eclectic Spacewalk presents Conversations, a podcast about the uniqueness of the human condition and how, through conversation, we can continue to upgrade humanity's value systems. Everyone has a subjective, awe-inspiring viewpoint of our reality, and the goal of this podcast is to have conversations with unique humans. Eclectic Spacewalk means a broad and diverse range of Earth-based philosophies viewed from outer space. Send us any recommendations on who we should talk to next. But remember, we are not just a podcast. You can subscribe to our Substack newsletter and get first access to every podcast episode at eclecticspacewalk.substack.com. Connect with us on social media by following us on Twitter at eSpacewalk and the hashtag EclecticSpacewalk. Find us on Minds.com at EclecticSpacewalk. And as always, you can find everything on the website, EclecticSpacewalk.com. We want to talk with anyone over our shared humanity and best practices of life. Now, let's have a conversation. Hi, Fry Copenhagen. Hello from Copenhagen. This is Nicholas McKay, and this is Eclectic Spacewalk Conversations. And my guest here is Ronnie Abershell from the Human Library Organization. Welcome to Conversations, Ronnie. Thank you. Thank you. So we'll get right into it. Uh, where were you born originally? I was born not far from here in the suburb to Copenhagen, a place called Glostrup. But I mostly grew up in the city. Okay. Actually in the neighborhood where we are right now. Okay. And then um, you said you have uh, your last name is French Moroccan. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh, my parents. I have mixed parents. Yes. My father was born in Morocco. Okay. My mother is Danish, native, you could say. Mm-hmm. So I'm a bit of a hybrid here. Yes. Yes. And for this population, it's uh, I I got that I get that question a lot actually. Mm-hmm. Not so much now, but in the 90s, uh, one of the questions I got a lot was. Um, where do you come from? Yeah, yeah. Because course. because I don't look typically Danish. I don't have blue eyes. I don't have uh, blonde hair, yeah. which would be a stereotypical description it, of yeah. Scandinavian people, for sure, by the for way. Sure. Because <laughs> we have lots of people that have a ginger and not blonde or dark hair. Well, that's what even flying in here, it seemed like it was very multicultural from it the is. get-go. I mean, even at the airport, uh, saw, you know, people in hijabs and, and things like that. And then you just... You wouldn't particularly think that in Dan- Denmark, yeah. No, and had you come maybe 40 years ago when I was a kid growing up, you would have seen a much more uh, ethnic homogenous group or you could say less, mm-hmm. uh, much less diverse group mm-hmm. because there are basically white people here and sure. white people yeah. <laughs> um, hanging out with other white people. Sure. And having a, having a ball too. I mean, I remember the monoculture because mm-hmm. I grew up in it. Right. And then came the multiculture. Sure. So I sort of, I lived through the transition. I'm a witness to the Denmark before and the Denmark after that people are talking so much and what about. And what was kind of the movement of that? Was it more just a cultural specific or maybe immigration was more open or what, how, what was the change? Well, I'm not sure to which sense that we were more open. I think that we were open uh, and curious mm-hmm. and perhaps even more welcoming than we are today. Sure. I'm pretty sure of that. But... Um, we were also kind of uh, insecure because it was something that was strange. It was something from the outside. It was something very different. Sure. And we didn't have the internet. We didn't have the media of today. We had few few stations. I mean, Danish radio had one station. Sweden had two. Germany had one or two. And that's about it. 
So there so, was there was a, a kind of framework that maybe was going to be be what it is now. Yeah, but so, the framework for what we are today was started then, but uh, I don't think people understood how that created a new path in mm-hmm. our in our story as a society. Sure. Where to today we're such a diverse place, especially in Copenhagen and in the larger cities, and there's so many different people from many parts of the world that have come here and live mm-hmm. here and married and found love or life or had to run away from other places or sure. came just to work because they're very qualified or something uh, or they enjoy Scandinavian food right uh-huh. <laughs> and but, so so what did you what did you want to be when you grew up originally I thought I was going to be like a, an attorney working with the uh, defending people's rights sure. you know because I saw these it, it actually happened to me as a kid when I was uh, going to the playground there was a, a community playground here that was built by parents And so it wasn't really a public playground in the sense it was an it was an empty lot, mm-hmm. and it was empty for a long time, mm-hmm. and the kids didn't have we didn't have any playgrounds, so activistic community oriented parents mm-hmm. built this playground, okay. and it was called the build it yourself kind of playground, right in Danish Bugan, yeah. and it was a place a lot of kids came to hang out, and there were forts and wood, and there were <laughs> swings and trees, and yeah. it was all a nature kind of nature playground. Yeah. And built out of recyclable materials. We're talking about the 70s, right? Oh, so very forward-thinking, way ahead of, way yeah. of generations ahead of us, <laughs> and smart people. And they built this, and then less smart people, and or depending where you, how you look at the world, um, decided this playground is illegal, so we're going to tear it down. Wow. And so they brought in bulldozers and they cleared the whole area. And guess what the parents did? Become they more re- activists. They rebuilt the playground. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So next Monday, like they tore it down on a Friday. By Monday, the whole playground was rebuilt. Mm. And now it looked even better. <laughs> That's because very it cool. was all freshly new built stuff, out of recyclable materials collected around the neighborhood. So was that was that community? At, so when you wanted to be a uh, like no, a so I felt I felt an incredible injustice committed to ah, us. I see. We had created something. It was very beautiful. It mm-hmm. was needed. It was appreciated. And people took responsibility for it. They took ownership, but it wasn't safe. Mm. So instead of coming out and making sure that the, the the play instruments that had been built were brought up to safety standard, mm-hmm. improving them so that kids wouldn't get torn on a nail hanging oh, out, I see. Yes, or yes, that's yes, what of I, we're talking oh, those about, kinds of things, or yeah. that the height was adjusted so if you fell. You don't get injured seriously. Mm-hmm. You just hurt yourself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's painful, but you'll survive. <laughs> uh, Instead of doing that, they brought in the bulldozers, and not just not once, not twice, but several times, and it ended in riots. Wow. So it ended up in street riots because the system wasn't flexible, and that injustice made me think that's what I want to do. I want to stop this kind of stupid injustice where systems roll over people, and then we just get squashed. You know what wow. I mean? Yes, of course. And then, so from that, that, that who were your biggest influences in in that? Was it just kind of the, your uh, parents, and then also the community in general? The reaction that they did to that was that those your biggest influences of like trying to fight those injustices? Was it, or who are the biggest role models in, in your? Well, I mean, it depends what you look at because I had different role models. Sure. Uh, you know, in my life, I think we all do. We have some people we look up to because of what they've achieved or accomplished, uh, yes. or yes. or the talent they might have. Mm-hmm. And then there are other people that we look up to because of what they've done for us, mm-hmm. or what they mean to us on a personal level, sure. or even on an emotional level. So you know, I I think I have so many role models that have influenced me. But when I grew up, some of the people that 
that sort of reached my ear through media, which was limited access, mm-hmm. and through mm-hmm. whatever news, was people like Muhammad Ali that I learned about, you know, sure. and, and I saw the some of his last fights in the 80s before he retired, sure. and learned about his story, how he refused to go to the army and fight and all that, and I thought, wow, somebody uh, giving up something for what they believe in. And in his story specifically, not just like something at the end of his career or at the beginning, like in his prime. No, no, it, he paid the highest price. The highest and price. Absolutely, and had he, had he played ball, uh, he would have had a completely different career, and his story sure. would be very different. But what defines him as an athlete today it's not only his athletic accomplishments, but it's the fact that he had an opinion and he was prepared to pay the price. You could agree or disagree with him. That's right. fully your democratic right. Mm-hmm. But the man was prepared to stand there and take the consequences for his decisions and for his actions or his values. Something very few people are ready to do. Oh, when yeah. it comes down to it, paying up that mm-hmm. dollar when it's or saying no to that opportunity... And I was very inspired by him, and so I mean, I've actually—that's very cool. Yeah, it's it's so funny because um, that kind of harkens to the uh, heuristic that I'm gonna, or I'm as of right now writing my new newsletter on is uh, skin in the game. Is someone that has like that actual skin in the game to then make those decisions. And you and I can sit here. If someone has skin in the game and makes a decision, well, then we have we can judge ourselves. You know, we, like you said, a democratic thing. But I respect so many more people that like actually do that and then have themselves the consequences, good something. or bad. They're know? risking something. Yeah, yeah, and they're ready to risk something. And if they, you're not ready to risk something, you can't win. And you know, I thought always, not just with with Muhammad Ali, but. As a child, I saw people that had nothing. I remember periods where we had very little. And then I saw a lot of other people had everything. Mm. And then I'm wondering, how come some people starve and some people don't? Right. There's, there's injustices in the system again. It's yeah. still a question I don't have the answer to. <laughs> Why do, does, do, do children have to go to bed hungry in a world that's full of food? Oh, absolutely. You that, give me a good answer to that question, then, you know, I'll hire you. Yeah, yeah. that's the $64 million question, as they <laughs> that's say. That's the world peace question. Yeah, exactly. Um, so then, I guess, uh, going back and still keeping with your personal journey, um, and then I guess this uh, kind of alludes and foreshadows to what we'll be talking about with the Human Library Organization, but what were your, like, favorite books growing up? Or, or even earlier in life, as you kind of progressed? What, what were kind of the big authors or the big things that... The kind of genres. I think I was very simple. I started out with fantasy. I remember as a kid starting reading mystery books, you know, mm, okay. and then going on to this uh, role-playing fantasy world sure. that impressed me when I was really young, and then going on to horror film, horror stories. Different like genre, yeah. Stephen King was something that okay. when I was really <laughs> young, right? And then I didn't really start reading books until uh, my early twenties. Oh, getting back into okay yeah okay. because you know I got once I got out of my teen reading uh, I had all my homework to do so, I mean you had all my school <laughs> and I didn't feel like reading much in the years when I was doing so much work every day sure. reading yeah uh, so I basically unwound by my I generation what did we do we played computer games oh okay basically we okay. played some computer games so in my late teens I played computer games and then when I got into my twenties. And I began to understand the world better and know who was who. I started reading a lot of biographies. Oh, so I mean, okay. I'm pretty Personal much a, stories. Yes, okay. so I'm I'm more of a bio uh, reader, mm-hmm. um, and a little bit of you know, I like people who can communicate 
So I'm interested in people that are strong at communicating, conveying ideas, uh, making things obvious, getting people to follow ideas and inspire, you know. So I read a lot about politicians and other prominent figures, thinkers. Right. And is that because you you can see yourself in, in them or, or is it more just like now you kind of see into the human spirit and what they're kind of dealing with? Well, I, I don't know. It's not about seeing myself in them. Mm-hmm. It's more about understanding the world and their understanding of the world maybe will help me better my understanding uh, of the world. Yes, of so by reading about people you agree or disagree with, by getting insight to the way they think and why, mm-hmm. their motivation for believing that or having that approach, uh, I feel I can better put my puzzle together. Sure. So uh, you could say my world image is a big puzzle. It needs to be put together and sometimes I need sources to help me. Absolutely. And so I'm very interested in understanding what's going on in the minds of of, of the U.S. president, for example, sure. of Boris Johnson <laughs> and others that are seemingly disrupting the world order. Mm-hmm. I mean, looking on the outside, Absolutely. these are people that are, uh, well, just, just depending on how you look at it, are attacking our structures mm-hmm. and stuff. So I'm trying to get in their minds, but I'm also trying to get in the minds of others. Okay. And so going from those, uh, the book influences, um, and then really kind of uh, learning people's mindsets, worldviews, etc. Um, how, how did that change once you went to school? you know, and then went to kind of university. I know that this has been a continual journey, but... Well, it happened before that. It happened when I went to high school. Okay. So Um, you were early on, you were into this kind of like, I want to see how other people see and... Yeah, well, I had, I sort of had to because I was put in a situation where I left my country and I went to another country. And I was a high school exchange student to the U.S. for a year. Mm -hmm. And I had to adapt to a new country, new environment, different language. I did speak English, but it wasn't, you know like it is today sure. and uh, and obviously people were different there and had different thoughts and ideas and ways of living and eating and doing stuff so I had to learn about that and, and where I, specifically was it? it was in Connecticut oh Connecticut yeah, okay in, so around Danbury yep. okay and uh, and we had a I had an amazing learning experience and it sort of humbled me to diversity mm-hmm. because what happened there is I'm a big city kid Mm-hmm. And then I moved out to rural Connecticut. <laughs> and I mean, I was used Culture to... Culture shock on many ways. Uh, you, you wouldn't believe it. <laughs> you wouldn't believe it. I had all my boys in the street. I walked. I walk out my stairway. All my guys are right there. All right. my friends are there. Right. We had the, the ballpark. We could go. We could do what we wanted. We had public transportation. You get on your bicycle, you go anywhere. Sure. You in rural Connecticut... It's a little different. Yeah, a lot different. <laughs> It's like, if you don't pick up what you need from the store, like, when you go to the store, you just don't got it. You don't have it, yeah. And there ain't no way to get it either. Unless you want to do that bike ride, like, five miles down some hill to get to to the store and then go back up. And, you know, and I'm like, wow, this life is so different. And then what was the, (laughs) like, the reverse culture shock of going back to, to Copenhagen? Well, actually, going back, I, I felt like I was coming into... That was really the weird part. Leaving, I felt like I left the big city to go to a small place. Mm-hmm. And coming back, I felt like I left a really big place to go to a small place. Oh, wow. wow. Is that weird? Yeah, yeah. But bit. that's because the diversity in America mm-hmm. was just so tremendous. Mm-hmm. And the way people engaged with their civil society and so many people volunteering and being part of infrastructure there, like volunteering for the ambulance, volunteering for the fire department, 
volunteering for extracurricular activities yes, yes. after school. You had parents volunteering to host activities. Oh, PTA, PTA. Come on, all that stuff. I mean, yeah. it was yeah. it was uh, it was a very active civil society, and people were there was. I didn't like the exclusion part. I didn't like the popularity contest. Sure, sure. I didn't like the part about if you didn't have a car, you were nobody. You didn't have a life, right? And you could just sort of sod off. Mm-hmm. I didn't like that social hierarchy at all. Right. Uh, and I'm not saying that that way of life necessarily is a greater solution than any other country around the world, but to me it was a it was a different life, and so it opened me up to uh, many different groups. And being a foreigner there, uh, obviously I met all the other uh, minority groups. Mm, yes, yes. Because as like I mentioned. And uh, and so I hung out with kids that had African American background, that had uh, Asian American background, that had all kinds of diversity and mixes yeah. with them, that made me feel like just like them, that I was I'm also a mix, yeah. And so here I'm just like everybody else, mm-hmm. while where I came from I was sort of kind of like the dark haired kid, right? You know right, what I right, mean? Right. Yes, so, yes, yes. So it was actually. I felt more included in a way, but also obviously excluded, excluded by a certain yeah, group absolutely. because I didn't have that car and I didn't have that fair skin at the moment. Yeah. I wasn't blonde and a jock or whatever <laughs> it meant to be popular then. I don't remember. I had friends. I met nice people, but but obviously wasn't part of that big game. But I was humbled to the fact that people would take in a foreigner, a yes. stranger, absolutely. somebody from a different country who speaks with an accent, who who, you know, is leaving again soon, why would I bother? Build a relation and hang with this guy. And a lot of people took me in Mm -hmm. and made me feel welcome. And especially my host family there were incredible and I'm still in touch with them. They're like my family today. And we're we're in touch last week. So, yeah. So, so, a a very uh, big part of your life. They've grown to become a very big part of my life and I hope they feel the same um, in a positive way. (laughs) (laughs) Of course. I, I think they do. At least that's what they tell me, and I do get Christmas cards. Too, okay. So, I mean, well, that's but, that's great. That, that that has been such a, a integral part for so long. Integral part, but it also about my understanding about diversity. So I got home, and here I was. I saw people still engaging in their own groups, but not engaging across. So people that liked hip hop music didn't appreciate people that listened to heavy metal. Ah, they yes. actually probably okay. felt that people who listened to heavy metal were a bit goofy, mm-hmm. and the people who listened to heavy metal. Uh, most obviously probably thought that the people who listen only to hip hop were yeah. pretty simple people Same with thing. with very oversized clothing yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know <laughs> and while we probably thought they need to go get a haircut yeah you know it's and the, then they thought we should go buy some pants our real size sure, and, sure. This, and pull them up by yeah. the way and tighten your belt and tie your shoelaces and rather than than just understanding that that's how you guys are and, and you like these things and, and appreciating like yeah, yeah. that somebody cares about something yeah. enough to engage ah, yes. to get tattoos to start breakdancing to graffiti to all the stuff that human beings do yeah to care about anything yeah so yeah. instead of positioning yourself in opposition to that just because it's not for you what about appreciating the joy it gives them ah and yes. look they're busy they're staying busy doing something that makes them happy. Yes. How is this going to hurt you? Just because they listen to music you don't appreciate. Yeah, okay. You could just go somewhere else. That's, or, a, that's so good. Yeah. You yeah, know, but it's like you, you like your neighbor because he plays reggae. 
But then you get a neighbor who plays hardcore heavy metal, and, <laughs> and you're like, I hate different. this neighbor. I can't stand <laughs> this neighbor. Can he turn it down? But but the other guy who was playing the reggae that you appreciate also, you're like, oh, that's dope. That's cool. Yeah, I got yeah. Bob Marley next door. Yeah. No, you don't. Yeah. You got the same people next door. It's just a question of the way you view them. That's a very good point. And and the hum- and going into so transitioning into like the human library organization, how this started. I mean, that one of the biggest things that I've gotten from this, or and obviously it's right in the name, is the human, the human, human. Like these people are just like you, just like us, and but in a different way, and that we can learn uh, something from that. So, talk. I guess set the tone of how this all came to be, like your origin story. Like, what were you, what was kind of your mindset? What were you doing? And then why did you think that that was a need? Um, and then. Well, I, I was working in a place called Stop the Violence, okay. which was a youth organization ah, that I started with some of my friends. My friend, we had a friend in common that was stabbed, and he survived, fortunately. But the reason for his stabbing was so unclear and seemed so meaningless mm-hmm. that, as a response, we were like, "We got to do something about this increase in violence that's happening." So, um, so we took this initiative which sort of snowballed into a movement. And all of a sudden, we're working full-time doing youth violence prevention activities. And we were young ourselves. It was a little bit of a coincidence. I was actually just finishing college and thinking I was going to go on in my studies. And then our friend got stabbed. We organized this party. We got all the media attention. All of a sudden, ministers wanted to support our work. And labor unions came out and said, can we help? And we said, wow, there's a chance to do something. And mm-hmm. somebody believes in this peer group education approach to disarming young people and motivating them to solve their conflicts without violence. Mm-hmm. And so that was our approach. And after you know, two, three years, we ended up on a government grant, which was like a full funding grant for four years, wow. which seemed like a blessing, but turned out to be a, a wolf in sheep's clothing. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah. And so after the four years and the change of government, all the funding was withdrawn and so the whole work collapsed. Oof. But one of the last things that we managed to create together, sort of our masterpiece, uh, this crew that built this movement, um, was the Human Library. It was an idea we had there. Yeah. And when we were leaving, I said to the others, look, this is an idea we created together. There's no way we can leave it here. It belongs to the world. It needs to go out and do its, play its part. Right. And if we let it die and put it in a file here and never bring it out and realize its potential, it's going to be a, it, that'll be a greater loss than us closing the door today on this organization, right. which was seven and a half years of good work that right. was just pulled and out. And so, like, it, it was a lot of not, you just, you, you saw the writing on the wall and that there would be regret, there would be things of, of if you didn't do that. And you're no, like, I was called to do it. I couldn't, yeah, I yeah. couldn't leave it. And it, look, imagine that you have a chance to change the world, right? Or impact the world. Yes. Would you not grab that chance? Of course, run with it. <laughs> so, so I'm not that stupid not yeah. to know when to take the chance when it's there. Sure. And I saw how strong and powerful the library is. Right. I saw the impact. I, I saw the, the global embedding potential because what society doesn't have a library? Mm-hmm. What society doesn't have groups that are exposed to stigma and stereotypes? Ah, yes. Who doesn't you know live in a community that also have minority groups? That's a human thing. This that is we have part to of mankind. This yes. is human nature. Yes. And judging each other mm-hmm. uh, is also part of our nature. Yeah. Absolutely. We have to make risk assessments. You have to navigate the street to get home safely to your family. Mm-hmm. So we all have a survival instinct that helps us also 
make these assessments, but they're also judgments. Oh yeah, and and some of them are harsh. Yeah. So we're not saying don't judge. Actually, we're saying come and unjudge. Yeah. Because we know you already judge. Yes, yes, yeah, yes. Like your viewers judge you on the suit you yes. wear, the hair you have, the way you perform. Absolutely. They judge me on what you how wear. I do today, how I say if I'm my body language is all closed up. But that's or, only going to increase usually if you get more information or more data. And that I would hope that even though that people see me in doing this or see you in doing this, that they make have a more complete picture. Rather than just okay, well, I'm only visually seeing him in an audio or a visual, video interview, etc. The, the same thing with or you. Sometimes they get a quick glance or quick impression. Yes, and then that's put in a box. Yeah. Oh yes. And unless yes. you have a chance to revisit that impression, that decision, that's what's it's going to say. That's what's in there. So of course. So we're saying, hey, here's your box. Revisit it, and then we put a book in there that represents. Your idea, right? And then it's going to overwhelm you because it's so much more. You're going to get so much more information. So by the time you're going to put this back in the box, there's no room. Right. Box is not big enough for all the things. For all the things. Yeah. Yeah. And then you have to switch the box <laughs> and get a new box. Actually, we like to say that we help our people break out of the box. Ah, so then there is no box. There is no box. No, there is no box. <laughs> Instead, that person is now within you ah, because now you know yes. that person. Because you have you have come. You only keep things in boxes that you're not sure how to take how to handle.、Mm-hmm. The people you know that you're comfortable with, you got them inside. You. Absolutely. So I like to think that we're expanding human acceptance、mm-hmm. specter. Like before I met you, I didn't like American reporters from. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.、Uh, or before I met you, I didn't like people with that, or I thought I didn't like, or I thought I had something against. Fans of Arsenal, sure. Barcelona. <laughs> yeah, but and then I、yeah. met you, and you're a great guy, and、yeah. we had beers. And hey, Barcelona's not that bad. Yeah, right, 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 right. I don't like them, but I like you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I met a racist once, or rather, I didn't, because I'm sitting in a train station, and this man is sitting next to us on the bench. I judge him as one of the people that normally would sit there and have a few beers during the day. Maybe a retiree, an early pensioner,、mm-hmm. maybe on disability.、Mm-hmm. Uh, Not knowing, but that's how I, 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 that's the box I put him in. And then some people of different ethnic backgrounds walk by, and he goes, "Oh, all those people should go back to their own country."、Mm. And then I look at the guy and I say, "But, dude, what do you mean? How do you know this is not their country?" Exactly. Well, they don't look like they come from here, and they're not from here. And okay, and then a few minutes later, I mean, I don't want to get into a scuffle with him.、Yeah. I'm like, "All right, okay." And then just like before we get any further, another guy walks by. Obvious Middle Eastern Arabic background, and he says hi to the guy. They know each other. <laughs> yeah, they shake hands, and he, I don't remember the names now. Yeah, It's twenty twenty、sure. years ago, but、uh, I just remember the guy. They were really sincere with each other. And then the Middle Eastern man walks into the thing. We're in a train station. He walks into the shop to buy something, and then I look at the guy, and I said, "Look, one minute ago, you were pointing fingers at somebody walking by, saying they all need to go back to where they came from." Right, and now this guy comes in, and he's what was his name, Muhammad or something, and you're he's cool. Right, what's going on? And he goes, no. Well, I didn't say the thing with the name. He did. He, he goes, no, but that's Muhammad. I know him. He's a good guy. <laughs> right, right, right. You know, you, he I, internalized that humanity because he's had dealings with him. He has a relation other, with the yeah, guy. Yeah, yep. And yep. that back in '95 sort of was a dime dropping for me. I'm like, all right. So you tell me if I could just get you. To build a relation, yes. Then you're going to be okay with the guy, and then hopefully over time 
you'll be okay with the group the guy comes from. Yes, and change perspective. Change perspective and, yes. on the entire group. Yes. Look, if the only thing you really need to not be afraid of gay people is to meet some guy and have a friendship with a gay woman. person. Yes. Yes. And, and and come to learn that 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 there's so not so little danger in that. And, right. And you know, little mystique. Once you get to know people, <laughs> yeah. it's not that different. No. Maybe you know. Yeah. Hopefully, that's what you come to realize. That's good. Then that's sort of diffuses the fear. Mm-hmm. So if there's a fear of Muslims, maybe you should meet a couple of Muslims before right. you start fearing them too much. If you if you're fearful of trans people, police officers, uh, people who come from a certain culture, industry, ethnicity, religion, background, social status, try and sit and talk with them. Yes. Talk with somebody who has HIV before you deselect them as your friend because you're afraid. And I'm going to leave it right at that um, because we're going to take a short break. And then when we come back, we're going to talk exactly how we're going to, the human library basically does that. Changes the world. Yeah, changes the world. So we'll be right back. Welcome back to Conversations by Eclectic Spacewalk. I'm here with Ronnie Abergel from the Human Library Organization. Thanks again for coming on. Um, so let's talk about first, uh, you mentioned previously about the original idea and how it came to fruition about the Human Library Organization, but I guess talk to us about that first event that you did and then what exactly is an event for Human Library? Well, the Human Library is a safe space where people that volunteer to be an open book for you, the reader, uh, and answer your questions. And the people that volunteer to be books are people that have personal experiences from suffering under stigma, stereotypes, even from hate crimes. Most of them are members of a minority group, some sort of minority group, or work in an occupation that carries a heavy stigma, mm-hmm. or comes from a social background that carries a stigma. Mm-hmm. What all our books have in common is they are able to challenge the stereotypes, sort of help you uh, hear from the horse's mouth, mm-hmm. what's it like to be a refugee, What's it like to live life as transgender? What's it like to be a police officer? Um, where do you go at night when you're homeless? Mm. Um, how do you live life with HIV? Right. And you mentioned that earlier of like the the humanity of uh, empathy is really big. If that you want, if you are stigmatizing people with HIV, it, the first thing that you should do is go talk to someone with yeah. HIV. I mean, sometimes people have unconscious bias. Sure. Uh, all of us have unconscious bias, and all of us judge. So we'll judge something based on that little information that we have, and we're doing that to position ourselves safely. Mm. from the things that could be dangerous. Sure. Yeah, It's not about deselecting you per, per, per personally. Right. It's about navigating the dangers of diversity. Mm-hmm. Things that we don't understand, things that are foreign to us, strange, that we might be concerned about because mm-hmm. we don't understand them. Once we understand how they're different, why they're different, mm-hmm. and how this impacts or doesn't impact us and our ability to be who we are, mm-hmm. we feel better. You know, we feel safer. We yeah. feel more calm about it. So basically, it's about getting to know that thing that you didn't know, and then you're probably going to feel much better. You're also allowed to walk away and not feel better. Mm. I want to make clear wow, that dude. our agenda here yes. is not about because you said empathy, right? And I said, sure, maybe, 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 maybe. Yes. could also be I come away feeling animosity, right? Right. Oh my God, you politicians, <laughs> you know? or you police officers, shoot first, ask questions later. Right. Or that I, I come away feeling confirmed yes. that this was the image I had of 
you immigrants from Latin America or you this or that. And I come away confirmed in my judgment that mm -hmm. the assessment I made is the same right. or even perhaps more negative if it was negative. You, we don't really have an opinion. What we want is for you to make up your opinion. Right. More so, information. Yeah. Yes. So we want you to have a qualified basis for your decision making. Yes. Not what you decide. We don't have an opinion about that. We're right. a library. Yeah. Right. Libraries <laughs> care what you feel. Look, what is it about the library that makes it so unique? Full freedom. Right. The information you want is the information you can go and get. Yeah. So all we do is make the information available. Yes. Number two, who's, who's welcome in a library? Everyone. Rich, anyone, everyone. Poor, yeah. Homeless, yes. Guy who lives in a castle, yeah. <laughs> who can come there? Yeah. Everybody, everybody. tall, short, Different. thin, yeah. yeah, heavy, yeah. Everybody. Can people who don't read come? I mean, sure. It to sure. learn to read. I mean, yeah, yeah, well, yeah. No, <laughs> or no. not even just to yeah. be there. Yes, can yes, I yes, be yes, there yes. still? Even sure, though I absolutely, don't read? absolutely. Sure. Yes. So I can listen to sound tapes, ah, audio yeah, books, of course, of course, of course, or just have a conversation with someone, or maybe somebody will read for me. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's all different the ways to see it. Engage, yes. to interact, to absorb information. Mm -hmm. What's interesting about the library is it's the most neutral institution in our society and our culture. Yeah, it is. And it's the only place that's so inclusive that everybody's welcome. Mm -hmm. So for us, the library is the perfect wrapping around a safe space to have a very, very personal conversation with a stranger. Right. And get to know about them. And then you mentioned, uh, I think it says, quote, uh, glo a global, uh, innovative, and hands-on learning platform. Yes. So then how, how did that come about from your first humble beginnings of one event? And well, then yeah, but because there was, I had, I don't like to say epiphany because it sounds <laughs> religious, but I had sort of a, an insight. Yes, okay. When I saw the thing working, I didn't know, my colleague said to me, but what if nobody comes? Mm. I said, if nobody comes... The police officer will be talking to the free marijuana activist. Ah. The two football fans will be talking to each other. The Buddhist and the Jew and the Muslim and the Christian and everybody there might get into a nice conversation. The homeless guy will talk to the... Uh, we're going to win yeah. small or we're going to win big, but we're not going to lose. I right. convinced my coworkers, right, And right. they said, all right, we believe you. And so when readers came and took advantage... I understood we were winning big. <laughs> right. I right. saw that the first day. And then I thought, well, why should this be the only victory right. when we can win the world with this? Mm. And so I just made a decision. I could tell it was all people coming out of there. And I could just tell this works. Right. And I had this feeling this could work in any society. In China, in New Zealand, in Uganda. That pr proof of concept was really integral to you finding, of being like, okay, well, this this works. This, and the other things Look, may not. Look, I know myself. And I knew myself. I'm like, everybody judges. Mm -hmm. Even me. Mm -hmm. We all judge. So do I think people in Nepal judge less than I do? No. Do I think people in the Sudan will judge less than right. I do? Okay. So do people in Sudan know about a library? I'm sure they do. Yeah. Because library's been around for like thousands of years thousands <laughs> since of years. human antiquity. It's where we yeah. always got our information. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. And now it's a place we can go and rekindle our humanity, mirror in each other, agree to disagree, or find new relations. Yeah, and then and then in those new relations, though, you there's been some success in all of this. And that I mean, you're in six continents and 85 countries now. I mean, that's a very big, uh, I guess, a global movement. Yes, exactly. And so like. In, in, in that, 
how exactly did you really、um, personally feel like after these things? Obviously, some sense of accomplishment. Obviously, some sense of seeing the progression of it. But then, what what does that make you feel of that you yourself are doing this? Well, I mean. I feel proud to be involved、mm-hmm. with something this important. Sure, but I'm I'm my most common reaction have been to be humbled, humbled to see people in Mongolia, assuming the roles we thought of for them, assuming the idea,、uh, taking upon themselves to be a book, to、right. share something deeply personal, meeting books in England in in Romania, publishing my books in Romania at the TEDx event, they're my books. Right. I go around the world, and they're all my books. Cause so cool, and it's it, it's just、yeah. it's 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 rich in ways that money could never make you. I'm rich in people, yes,、uh, and people that are part of an idea that I was instrumental in creating, and I'm so proud. I'm pr- but I'm mostly proud of those people. I'm not so proud of myself. I'm happy with myself, but I always <laughs> knew. That I was going to do something with myself, I just didn't know what it would be what、exactly、until the story unfolds.、Sure. We're all a book in that way. We're writing ourselves every day, but and I, I just, but it was like a calling, and it was like a calling that said, "Hey, you've got to do something to help this library realize its potential." And it's actually not that much about me, and that's why when you said we're doing twice twenty-five minutes, I'm a bit surprised because normally I'll do five minutes, and then let's get the books on. Oh yes, because this is about challenging stigma and stereotypes. It's about giving a voice to those groups in the community that rarely have a voice. Sure. That don't nobody's including them. That's、right. actually part of the problem is they're being excluded because they're different. Exactly. And we need to stop fearing that difference, embrace it, and make it a resource for us. Absolutely. Because Strength can come from our diversity, absolutely. But only if we embrace it. That's a very good point. And then the moniker for you guys, I guess the tagline is "Don't judge a book by its cover." That、so、was our old tagline. Okay, okay. Our new tagline is "Unjudge someone." Ah, unjudge someone. Because okay, we've come to terms with the fact that "Don't judge a book by its cover" is a great saying. Right. The, of it's, yes, it's yes. A, it, it has a great image language for you. <laughs> it. Draws people into the world of books and living literature, and it's it's very closely connected with books.、Mm-hmm. But it's not a truth for us any longer. Yeah. So unjudge someone. That's our new truth: is that we all judge. So to say don't judge, that's that's, that's rubbish. Right. 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 Because how can I tell you not to do something that's in your nature?、Mm. You can't change your nature. That's and that demonizing the other. Yeah, and it's demonizing yeah, us yeah. for for judging. Defaulting. No, look, I'm judging you,、mm-hmm. and what you should be is be ready to unjudge. Right. Right. Yeah. To revisit your judgments. And then, so through that, though, I mean, so say I want to unjudge someone or challenge、yes. my own stereotypes, and so I come to my the event tomorrow. What 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 is kind of in in what am I in store for? So I so I I say I want to. Learn about a refugee, for instance,、uh, and so like it, how, take us through the process of just like, becoming a reader.、Yeah. Yes. Well, we invite people to become readers. We have rules in our library, like real libraries have. Bring the book back in the same condition. <laughs> Bring、course. it back on time. Don't take it home. Yeah. Those are like the the key rules to it. Treat it with the same respect you、yes. want to be treated. And then you walk up to the desk. You get this introduction to the library. You meet the librarian, and they'll guide you through our. The literature that we have available today,、yep. all the topics and some of their experiences will be available to you.、Mm-hmm. You make up your mind.、Uh, you might know from home you want this topic, 
But in reality, when you see the collection, you might feel in your stomach that you should actually go for something else. Sure. So it's good to have a look, even though you might know what you want, have a look at the others too. Sure. And then once your once your topic is available, we match you with your book. Yeah? Perfect. And so you go somewhere and you sit, and then you'll have a reading, as we call it. A reading is really a conversation yeah. where one person volunteers to be an open book and share their experiences, and it's up to you as a reader to engage in, in sort of the Q&A, yes. to f- get those questions in there. Because if you don't, the conversation might just dry out. Right, and it's really up to you to dictate how much you want from, from this experience. No two conversations yeah. will be the same. Absolutely. They depend on your courage, yes, your curiosity, and your ability to take responsibility for your own biases. Sure. Because we all have them. Oh, yeah. Some are conscious, some are unconscious. Some of us like to be aware of it. Some of us don't, don't like, to, like be to be confronted be with the fact <laughs> It happens to me. Yeah. I walk in somewhere, I see somebody, and and I feel a reaction. And yeah. I'm like, oh, oh, this again. I, oh, I, ju- <laughs> I just judged that person. We've got a judge box up there in the office. Like every time we make a condemnation or we we oh, okay. so yes. by by accident judge someone, we have to like put something in that box. And That's we're awesome. Drinking all the money up end of the year. And so two of the big things that you, you mentioned is like that this is a safe framework. Yep. So again, that this is safe. But then also the big proponent that you put in is also the reading or the dialogue that yep. comes in that. So for for that, what, what could be some, so say someone uh, can't come to your, what, what would you say to other people um, that maybe can't come to a reading or something like that to then unjudge someone? For Is it just increased dialogue with whoever you can you can in the streets? Because I see dip. I'm not the one to tell you to walk up to a stranger that looks yes, different of course. and then start asking questions because one might feel, one person might respond very positively to that and another person would be offended. Sure. So let your social norms judge what you feel comfortable mm. doing. Mm-hmm. But as a principle, I believe keeping an open mind towards the people that look different from us until we get to know them is healthy. Yes. Healthy for our also ability to gain new relations and perhaps take advantage of opportunities that these people represent to us. Oh, the but that we cut ourselves of Yeah, things. that yes. we cut ourselves off from because hey, I'm not gonna be your friend, all right. Well then I'm not going to that party that you're hosting. Right. And I'm not gonna meet those people. And you can I'm lose out on whatever type of life experiences that could do. Yes. So don't That's cut big. yourself off by cutting others off. People think I'm cutting those off. No, you're not. You're cutting yourself off, you right? Fool. Yes. You chump. What's going on? Think about that. But well, that's one of my posts that I did recently was uh, zero sum versus non-zero sum, yeah. and it's like you know zero sum is very thinking about you know we are in a one-to-one, like I'm losing and you're gaining. But then yeah. in a non-zero sum, it's like I gain things from your just your experiences and everything about that and that relationship. Well, and that's what the human library is. Yes. That is a win-win-win. Yes. Because if you look at it, books. Meet readers, readers gain insight, mm-hmm. they feel they better understand some of these groups in the community, mm-hmm. they win. Books get understood by the groups and the other people in the community, they win. And society in general. Society yes. wins as a whole, and books get to know a lot of other books. Yes, yes. Just because you're Jewish, or just because you're Muslim, or just because you're trans, or disabled, or refugee, or police officer doesn't mean that you're tolerant of all other kinds of groups ah, or of course. that you're understanding and mm-hmm. accepting. And uh, the Human Library Organization, this is not just going to be used in events per se and doing these readings, but also you guys have started partnering with uh, 
diversity, equity, and inclusion training in the workplace. So maybe briefly talk about how that's kind of uh, a big deal in society now moving forward and then how a human library kind of makes that bridge, if you will. So uh, in 2013, we created the Human Library Book Depots yes. to get more traction, make events easily accessible, less cost, less time-consuming to mm -hmm. prepare, and to be able to recycle all these great people that we were publishing. Why publish them only once? Yeah, one-time shot. No. Yeah, yeah, it's foolish. They have a lifetime of experience, many of them. <laughs> we can't just do that in one sure, day. Sure. Um, and so after uh, making that work and seeing that embedded on different continents, yes. our model, we decided, look, we're going to need some resources to sustain all these book depots. Yes, we're going to need some money. Of and we were never good at raising money in the sense of asking others for money. We were better at making our own money. And so we developed a corporate model out of need, actually, but yes. also out of the idea that if we could get decision makers to better understand these groups, to better include these groups, Absolutely. then we're really getting somewhere. Because we're talking employment, labor market, Managers, housing. directors, everything. That's yeah. Yeah. So, so we developed a corporate model called the Human Library Reading Hall, which is a typical format for handling large groups of readers. Mm -hmm. And it's used as part of that equity and diversity training at the IMF, at the World Bank, Heineken, eBay, so Microsoft. Some of the biggest companies in the world. Some of the biggest brands in the world yeah. have reached out to us and said, we've heard about this that you're doing. Can you help us? And of course, I mean, we'd like to help. That's also a way to generate resources for the work. So we're building a new book depot in New York. We're building in Indianapolis. We're building in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. And we're building with funds we, create, we generate from corporate, uh, partnering with corporates. And then how's that experience been? Obviously, I'm assuming there, sh there was probably some <sighs> growing pains and such, but like, but now, yeah. in 2019, five years after, I yeah. mean... Yeah, well, it's been very rewarding. <laughs> it's been incredibly rewarding. That's awesome. It's been, to see the head of HR of a company like Daimler, mm. that's 90,000 people, right. coming over and saying, wow, I learned something today. To meet the head of the CEO of eBay, you know, and he comes over and says, wow, thank you for coming out. To meet the... The, the managing director of the International Monetary Fund. I mean, and see our platform helping them. Sure. Helping them create a more inclusive workplace, more inclusive world. It's, like I said, well, I'm, I mean, we're such I'm a, a rich man on people right. and experiences. Yeah, and then, and then as well, like not just, uh, we're talking about that non-zero sum, that if it's in the workplace and work is such a big part of our life, that's only going to translate into broader society and culture. So we're winning and winning and winning, and I've seen no, I've seen nobody lose as of yet. Nineteen years into the game, ah, that's good. Not a day with anybody losing okay. on the human library. Cool. Well, I really thank you for coming on Eclectic Spacewalk Conversations, and um, I'm basically just going to leave it as that uh, for our viewers um, to challenge your own stereotypes. And the new tagline for Human Library Organization is "Unjudge Someone." So I thank Ronnie uh, Abergol from. Uh, Human Library Organization for joining us. So thank you. My pleasure. Eclectic Spacewalk presents Conversations, a podcast about the uniqueness of the human condition and how, through conversation, we can continue to upgrade humanity's value systems.